0: Good morning, folks. Welcome to my part of the world, the Gold Coast Australia, where I'm going to have a good day because the coffee cup says so. And uh, let me see. Ding dong. Somebody's at my door. Who is at my door? None other than Mr. Rick Brewster from the Angels. Hey, Rick, how you doing?
1: Pretty good, thanks. <laughs> That's good, mate. It's uh, cold down here, but uh, apart from that... Whereabouts is down here? We've got nice, nice warm weather up there, have you?
0: I do live in the land of eternal sunshine, mate. Uh, it gets a little bit yeah. cold at night, but daytime. Actually, I was talking to Thomas McRocklin last night, who was based in the UK, and he said they were having a heat wave. And I asked him, what do you call a heat wave? And he said, oh, it hit 25 degrees. And I said, <laughs> I said mate, that's a winter's day at midday for me. And he was like, whoa, that's, we're all, oh, we're dying. So where, what part of the world are you in? Tasmania. Tasmania. Okay, so yeah. it must be must be cold down there.
1: Southeast.
0: Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow, mate. Yeah. I usually it's start by. Cold. I bet it has. Yeah. You get you get the uh, the the Antarctic wind coming up. I'd say.
1: Bit of that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mate, I usually kick off by asking people, "What started the love affair with this six string thing we call the guitar? How did it all start for <laughs> you?"
1: Uh, I I sort of came in sideways. Uh, I was I was learning classical piano when I was when I was uh, uh, even younger than you. Um, I don't know, in the teens, it was all classical piano, Uh, school practicing and all of that.
0: Yeah.
1: And doing exams and everything. And my brother John, he started playing mostly Bob Dylan, uh, songs up in the bedroom with a guitar. And it got my interest at some point. So I, I don't know, I found, it, found a guitar somewhere and started learning a few Beatles songs. and, You know, um, Everly Brothers, Simon and Garfunkel, a bit of Bob Dylan, Donovan. um and that was good. That, that uh, I played with a few friends at school. Um, but when when we started the jug band, we we needed a washboard player. Oh wow! And that's when I went from classical piano to washboard. Um, <clears throat> We did that for about three years in in Adelaide, uh, and that was great. It's, it's still one of my all-time favourite instruments. Really? Uh, in fact, the day the day the Red Hot Summer tour finished, not finished, it was cancelled because of COVID. Uh, I was due to go on stage with. Living End playing the washboard <laughs> to the fastest, fastest song I've ever played. End of the world. Cool. Um, so it didn't happen, but it will. It, it will happen uh, when we when we go back on on the road with that lineup. Um, so that was Jug Band, uh, then John. And Doc and and I, we decided to start an electric band. And that's when I first tried an electric guitar. And I, I just said straight away, uh, I want to be the lead guitarist. Knew nothing about it. Yep. <laughs> but uh, we went on the road. I gradually learned how to play a few things, and um, then I saw uh, Billy Thorpe, blew my mind. Then it was Daddy Cool, same thing. Then we did a short tour with ACDC, and that was it. I just wanted to play guitar. Cool, you know? cool.
0: So how did how did your brother John take to being designated as the rhythm guitarist? If you put your hand straight up and said, "I'm playing lead," he
1: was very happy to it.
0: Yep.
1: He, he never wanted to play anything else. Yeah, which cool. I'm I'm very very happy about because he's an amazing rhythm guitar player. Yep. Um, we had we definitely have this, uh, you know that. The brother connection uh it's it's a alive and well it's a real thing you know Absolutely. Sort of read each other
0: yep yep it, it is very obvious in bands that have brothers that these guys grew up playing music together <laughs> now you said the, the the washboard um which is a rhythmic instrument and i keep telling people that playing guitar in a band is 95% playing rhythm guitar. So if your rhythm guitar chops suck, what type of a guitar player are you? So do you feel that that somehow contributed to your guitar playing?
1: Definitely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was something. That was something we learned early on. From once we once we signed record deal with Alberts, then we had George Young, Harry Vander uh, Angus and Malcolm in and out of the studio all the time. They all all said the same thing. It's all about the feel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, uh, John and I started playing rhythm parts, riffs, uh, identical. We just to fatten up the sound, which is that's something we learned from ACDC. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, all I had to do was put a bit of a few frills on the top when it came time for a solo.
0: Cool, cool. And do you think that having started on on piano, uh, did that, that have any benefit in coming up with melodies and the like? Because you are a very melodic lead guitarist. I mean, you cannot play an angel song and not play... The solo like it is on the record or else it just does a great disjustice to, to the song i feel <laughs> so did do you think that that helped in some way
1: uh yeah it was um i think it was crucial to how i approached solo playing um there was some that that, that one i learned from my father who was a classical cellist oh really and uh he was a man of few words, but he used to walk past the piano. And uh, his, uh, his favourite thing to say was, make the melody sing.
0: Wise words. And he
1: whatever, whatever hand is playing the melody, sometimes it's the left hand, sometimes it's the right hand, but you just hit that little bit harder and you make it sing. And uh, it's all about melody. Um, so that, that lesson from classical piano combined with not really knowing much about playing on a guitar uh, gave me the approach of sing a melody in my head mm-hmm. and grab a guitar and work out how to play it awesome so (laughs) because i didn't have i didn't have a you know huge battery of licks yeah to to draw from you know i couldn't sort of go improvising was something i didn't even i'd hardly even heard the word Mm -hmm. um classical music classical piano you just play it as it's written um so that came later much later You know, gradually learning a little bit of how to improvise. Up till then, it was all write a melody and play it, and play the same melody every night. Mm -hmm. And then it's all about the execution, the performance, and some nights it's better than others.
0: Cool. So, actually, somebody in the chat there, and it's Ben White. Hey, Ben. Thanks for tuning in, mate, is saying iconic solos with a big love heart there. So, they are, aren't they? They're just iconic. Now, Rick, you said that you started off playing <laughs> Bob Dylan, and funnily enough, my first song I ever learned to play on the guitar was um, The Times They Are Are Changing. I had to do that in, in high school. Yeah. There's, and this seems to be a common thing with everyone that I've I've had a bit of a chat with, that they all started out playing folk music, uh, but then it's a big jump from strumming those kinds of sounds to the sound of the hard rock that you guys are known for. What what bridged that gap? What brought that hard rock edge to your playing, do you think?
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, I mean, see, we went on the road, As the Keystone Angels, Keystone Angels. That was our, the Keystone Angels. That was our first um, electric band. Okay, and it was a cover band. We were learning how to play as a band. We didn't have we had about two or three original songs, and we just played um, Chuck Berry. Buddy Holly, whatever, a lot of 50s, some 60s songs. Um, Learned them, played them, you know, fairly badly. Uh, But we got work. Cool. Seven nights a week. We got the ACDC tour. And and, uh, Angus and Malcolm and Bond saw something in us, and enough to go and tell George and Harry to come and, have a look at the band, and then they they signed us up. But um, so I guess it was hanging around with, with bands like that, um, and starting to write our own songs. That's that's when the, I mean the transition to I don't, I don't know I don't even know what hard rock is, but. Um, uh, You know, to us, it was two electric guitars, bass, drums, and um, learning how to make that. It really came from writing.
0: Cool. Uh, And were you guys writing as a unit then, or did you have one person that essentially brought in the ideas, or two people that worked together? How did that work?
1: It was a a lot of collaboration. Uh, John and I would write riffs and uh, chord progressions and lyrics. And then Doc would come in and he'd throw in some more lyrics.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so it was for, for a long time it was pretty much a three-way collaboration. Cool. Um, and we'd just throw the ideas around. If, if, if we didn't like them, they'd, Hit the dirt and on to the next one. But it was it was seven days a week writing constant. Nice. We weren't playing on stage, we were writing or recording.
0: And was Doc playing bass at this stage still?
1: Ah. Uh, yeah, in the early days. Um, he then Yeah, we, we pushed him out front. Mm-hmm. Um, for I don't know the the idea it may have even come from George Young. I don't know, but uh, we wanted to get a bass player and have Doc just be a uh, lead singer. Before that, the vocals were shared between John and Doc.
0: Okay.
1: Uh you yeah, John used to sing probably half the repertoire.
0: Wow. Cool. But uh, Doc definitely took on a persona there, didn't he, that became very iconic. <coughs> as did you. As did you. Yeah. What, what brought on that for you? I kind of know what the answer is, but I'd like to hear oh. it from you because you are known. If people don't know, uh, I have a lot of international viewers, so they, they probably don't know the Angels, but your thing – Was to stand there with your shades on and just be deadpan on stage the whole time. What statute?
1: Yeah, what brought that on, mate? Um well it was uh, I wanted to be the opposite of Angus and just about every other lead guitar player who you know, most of them move around a lot. And Doc was starting to develop his his manic persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was the opposite of all of that. It was a foil. And we played on it. We, we had, <laughs> for a couple of years, <clears throat> we had cardboard replicas of meat. No way. Um, we had them made. We took them on tour with us. I've still got one in my shipping container. But um, that would, the lights would go down. We, we got really involved with the light show too. Um, uh, Doc and I sat down one day in Brisbane in the park and we looked through, poured through all these books of photos of um, expressionist theatre, Bertolt Brecht and, it's expressionists and, and that's what we want, we want jagged shapes and black and white and um, lots of uh, dark areas and then full on white, white when the music hits and so very often there would only be one person on stage lit might just be Doc, might just be me and you know? So, in I am the one, during the verse, during the second verse, I think, the lights would go completely out on me, <coughs> enough for me to walk off side of the stage behind the PA stack. And the roadies would take the cardboard replica out, which stand in my place and when the solo hit the lights would come up the audience would just they wouldn't blink it was just yep they're playing solo but then at the high point doc would come screaming across the stage and (laughs) karate chop me (laughs) Right, right in the guts And the thing would fold in half. And the audience was, the gasp was louder than the band. Wow. Over the music. And then he'd rip the head off and frisbee it out. So that was fun.
0: That's great. That's great. There is an iconic photo of you guys back in the 80s playing a huge show somewhere. And you're standing there with with your sunnies on and everything. Blood dripping down your head, I think you'd taken a, a can or a bottle to the head. Was that very hard to stay in character, so to speak?
1: Well yeah,
0: you, yeah, you've just taken a blow to the
1: didn't, head. Not much. Um, that was in New Zealand, Oh, was it? Uh, yeah, first of all, yeah And it turned out it was a beer glass that hit me and it shattered. It smacked me right there but it's a hard part of the head, and I didn't feel much. I only really knew that I'd been cut when I couldn't see out of my right eye because of the blood. Um, so it, that was easy. We, we just played on, finished the set, and uh, went backstage, and the the um, uh, the medic came, and he took a look at it. And he was drunk. He didn't, he didn't have his, his bag of tricks with him. And he, and he said, oh, look, give me, some, give me some toilet paper and a bottle of beer. And he wiped it down with beer. No way. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. I've actually been at a gig where the drummer split his nose open just before the show and we actually got some super glue and super glued it together because we'd heard that that's what they used to do back in, in the yeah. war days. Uh, and that, that goes through. I don't know if that was actually a very wise thing to do, but <laughs> we did. It <laughs> got him through. Now, you mentioned it about, about the, the Alberts connection with the Vander and Young. <clears throat> what kind of things did they instill into you at that early stage? What did you learn from them?
1: Um... <clears throat> Same thing as 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 Dad make the melody sing, mm. but it was uh, yeah as I said earlier. For them, it's all about the feel. Yep. Um, you know they they kept saying it. If uh, if uh, if it doesn't feel good in the in the first backing track, you can never fix it. It's it's uh, it's got to be there or it's not. Yeah. Once you got that feel, then you can do anything you like with it. Um, and they drummed that into it. And when we were playing, when we were playing uh, demos to them, George would sit behind the desk and turn it up, and we we'd watch his foot. If it was tapping, we knew it was going to get it ticked. To-
0: that's that's a good meter. It's a very good meter. Now, yeah. what about gear back then? But, oh, sorry, but you, you can yeah. go. Yep.
1: <clears throat> uh, by then, we couldn't afford the Marshalls that, that we had seen with with uh, Billy Thorpe and ACDC. Um, so we bought a cheaper version called Wasp. Oh. Uh, which was, uh, I think, made in Sydney. And they were good amps, and I I did the job. They were too loud for a lot of the venues that we played, so we used to turn them around so the speakers faced the back wall and kept the volume down, because you had to turn the amp up to get the the tone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... uh, Finally, when ACDC decided to leave and go to America, I said, do you want to buy these marshals? So we did. And great, we had marshals, the real thing. Mm -hmm. And we used them for years and years.
0: Did you have any any boosting in front of those marshals, or was it just to crank it up?
1: No, and, no? no. I used to use two two stacks, one for rhythm, and the other one, uh, well, both of them for solos. But i, I just set a foot switch, um, where which I think it was. Uh, what was it? I think it just turned on the second amp, uh, or it might have, might have turned the microphone on okay. for the second amp. So and that was your I boost. Yeah, that was the boost. So it wasn't
0: amp. wasn't you didn't have any gain boosts for your solos? It was just oh. the same. Yeah. Did you wind back your volume on on your guitar for the rhythm parts, or it was just the same sound?
1: Yeah, a little bit. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But just just having the second amp kick in uh, with you know more more gain, that's all I needed. Yep. Um, and that was the time. That, that's what we did in the studio too. Okay. Just turn the amp up.
0: Yeah. And no yeah. no other delay pedals or anything else like that. That that,
1: that came much later. Yeah. It was about oh, 1983 or something. I got my first Boss digital delay rack-mounted thing. Okay, you know. yeah. Um, wrote a couple of routes straight away. You know, it was such a novelty to have something like that. I still didn't have a overdrive pedal. Um, I mean, I, I hadn't even heard of them. Really? No, it was just an amp.
0: And what about guitars back then? What were you using?
1: <clears throat> uh, the Epiphone Sheraton. It was the only guitar. I, uh, well, initially that was the only guitar, and then uh, then I got a, a SG. Um, definitely influenced by Angus. Yeah, yeah. And I would use. I, was, I was still. Used to the Epiphone. I preferred the sound of it for just about everything. But the SG was there as a spare. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, the Sheraton. Ah, nice, there you go. But that's that's the um, that's the uh, same. Cool. As the one I had. But the one I had, Andy SG, and John's Les Paul and Chris Bailey's um, Music Man, uh, they all got stolen. And when the truck got driven away in Chicago, driven away from the hotel, we lost the lot.
0: I'm glad you had that guitar then, just, just then, because people are going to crucify me when you said Epiphone Sheraton. I kind of looked away as if to and they're gonna say he didn't know what that was then so i'm glad that you pulled that out because i didn't know what a sheraton was yeah and an sg i don't know about how you feel about them but everything just feels too far this way when i try and play an sg i read i read an interview with joe satriani just recently and he was saying he he's tried to to gel with sgs and he just can't and that's the thing for me i'm just going to flick to a screen of me but everything just feels over here like i'm playing like this yeah yeah did you find that at the time
1: yeah it's a it's a really lightweight body and um it's just the weight of the headstock and the neck sits right out from the from the body which is fantastic for playing up the top of the neck Mm -hmm. um I still love it. I've, I've got a couple of SGs, and, and uh, I pull them out and use them. They're great. Yeah. But,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it, if you just hang it around your neck, it will tend to drop because of the weight of, weight of the headstock. Sure, yeah. So, But you get used to it. And I guess, like anything. Angus, this, like anything. this tiny guy with, a, with an SG, and, and it, you can see he's just holding it, holding it up the whole time.
0: Mm, mm. That's the other thing I noticed. Like uh, an SG just feels so small to me, and it, and it looks—I'm six I'm three, so it looks tiny on me. And I see it on right. Angus, and it's like, does he have the world's biggest SG over there, or is he just a small guy? <laughs> and people said, "Man, he's just a tiny little guy." Um, so what, you see, what, what
1: about Malcolm though with the uh, the, the world's biggest what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that looks huge on him, doesn't it? Oh, it looks fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. So did you have any evolution of gear throughout the, the career of the angels, or did you stick to the Marshall type sound once you got those off A C D C? Uh
1: no, we 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 changed a lot. Um we I couldn't tell you how many amps I've been through. Um we got Marshall combos when we went to America. We, we bought them and left them there. I don't know what happened to them, but they were good amps. Um, I had a um, a modified uh, fender twin. It was a great amp mm. um, I got a mess boogie at one stage, which I enjoyed um yeah, I've been through a lot of amps. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And, uh, yeah, I mean they're all good. Uh, you know, one of my one of my favourite amps, were well, two of them actually, are Fenders, uh, that I, I just keep at home. Um, one is a little Blues Junior. Great little amp. Tweet Blues Junior. The other one's the uh, um, what's it called? Uh, it's another Junior Fender. Pro Junior or something? Pro Junior. Yeah. Pro junior. Yeah, it's it's smaller. It's a, it's only about this
0: size, 15 watt. Yep. Beautiful time. Yeah. A lot easier to, to travel with than, as you said, your original, uh, what were they? Wasp amps were way too loud. You had to turn them around the other way. So I guess using a little 15 watt.
1: It's a lot. We were very proud of them at the time.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I made speaker. I made covers, sewed them, sewed the covers for the boxes <laughs> and the heads <laughs> out of all blankets and army surplus tarpaulins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, turtle trid- sewing machine. The and- old singer turtle machine huh?
0: Was it one of the treadly ones that we had to treadle the feet?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, my mum had yeah. one of those. And when I was a kid, I used to have a go at making my own guitar straps and everything. But I grew up living in a caravan, and that thing would just shake our caravan. Go, and people would go, what the hell's <laughs> happening in there? And that was me on the, the treadley singer making guitar straps for myself.
1: <laughs> because well, the, the, road, the road crew used to hate me because they had to take it in the truck. And and uh, I had it in the motel rooms wherever we went. I was making speed covers <laughs> and guitar straps, actually. And guitar straps, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Have Have you ever forgotten a guitar strap at a gig and had to make one out of gaffer tape?
1: No, I no. haven't done
0: that. No, I haven't either, but Good trick. Good yeah, trick. yeah. I, I used to tour uh. uh in a Queen tribute band for a few years uh, and Pete Lyons was our front of house guy and Pete always said, mate, if ever you need uh, guitar strap, I can make you one out of gaffer tape in 30 seconds flat, mate. So there must be a few little tricks that the roadies have up their sleeve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: the old gaff tape. Yeah, works wonders. Plenty of uh, holes in jeans get fixed.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now, as I said, um, a big portion of my viewers are actually international, so they're probably not aware that one of you guys' big songs was a song um, called Am I Ever Going to See Your Face Again? In which the crowd will all respond with a, it's, a, it's an Aussie, legendary Aussie thing. The whole crowd sends it and goes, No way, get fucked, fuck off in time. And it is just, it's an iconic Aussie thing. Um, And I'm sure people from overseas just be like, what the hell is this? Where did that come from?
1: That's a good question. You guys don't know? We've never found out. We've had so many people claim ownership that they came up with it, but uh, I don't believe any of them. Really? Uh, Someone did. It might have might have started on a, a cruise ship, or um, you know, a, uh, might have been a, a DJ somewhere started doing it, and uh, it's just one of those things that uh, spread like wildfire. Bush Telegraph, there was no internet, no mobile phones, um, but before we knew it, it was wherever we played. And that includes America, England. Wow. <laughs> it's like spot the, Aussies, spot the Aussies in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And by the end of the
0: song,
1: the whole crowd sing it.
0: Yep, yep. Well, even now, as I said, I went and saw you guys at Southport RSL not that long mm-hmm. ago, and you now have Dave Gleeson fronting the band, who I think is a perfect fit. He's a perfect oh, fit, man, because Doc was – his persona on stage was very iconic, and Dave Gleeson isn't trying to be him. He's doing his own thing, but his own thing is very reminiscent of Doc, very inspired by Doc, maybe, but perfect. And he's up there leading leading the chant as well. Um, was he the, the natural choice when you guys decided to get back out on the road? Yeah,
1: he was. Yeah, yep. Yeah, we, we he's the only one we approached. Yeah, and you like him too.
0: You knew him uh, previously?
1: Yeah, we toured with Screaming Jets a couple of times. And I always used to watch Doc. and think, yeah, if anything ever happens to Doc, he'd be my number one.
0: Yep. Sometimes uh, it's it was, just...
1: It was a good thing when he said yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I've got a question there from, from Ben White. He's asking... Are you using any modern digital units these days, like a helix or a Kemper, or are you still old school?
1: No, I am, uh, and I'm very glad I am too. Uh, especially with what's likely to come up. Who knows? With flights, we we might we might start having to pay fortune for excess baggage. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um... No, uh, uh, really, Dave Leslie uh, inspired me watching him and Susie for a whole tour playing with their fractals and listening to the tones. I just went, mm, okay, there's something in this. A yep. uh, combination of listening to them and putting up with high-damps which are hit and miss. Sometimes they're not serviced. Sometimes they go down. Um, Because the the days of us cutting, you know, taking a semi-trailer on the road with a full road crew, our own amps, they went years ago. That's like 80s exits. So, We developed this network of of, uh, road crews and um, uh, amp hire companies. Uh, And like I said, it's hit and miss. So, I'm watching Dave Leslie and then we come on and I'm playing through a really average Marshall or Fender and it you know, just, just has not got the sound. Mm. Uh, very frustrating. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, it took me a while, but then I got hold of a Fractal, um, the old, same one Dave and Susie were using, the AX8, and first gig. First gig I did with it was uh, Symphony of Angels up in QPAC, Brisbane. Nice. Um, with a uh, symphony orchestra and 40 piece choir, and <clears throat> the sound was immediately one of the best I've ever had. And no amps on stage. We couldn't have, you can't have amps on stage with an orchestra, yeah. or it goes straight through the. Uh, for mics. So um, that was great because it, it just goes DI straight to, the, straight to the PA and into our in-ear monitors. Great sound.
0: I was just and about to ask if you are using in-ears. In, you know
1: yourself. <coughs> if you get a good sound, you play 10 times better.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you, you mentioned... Time, you play like shit. Absolutely. And you mentioned dave leslie putting you onto the the fractals and i know the moment that switched him over um i've known dave for a while and he told me he was playing a a a bit of a guitar thing where they had a a whole bunch of aussie guitar players and they had hired backline and a lot of the guys were using fractals and the like and he had a rented marshal and it let him down it he was there trying to play (laughs) and it just what is this crap and one of those things. If your sound's not on, you're not on. And um, I can remember talking to him a while back. I was using the Kemper when I was touring in the, the Queen show and him saying, oh, I don't know, digital, digital. But I think that was the turning point for him was being let down by a, a back line. I looked at your pedal board and you had a an HX Stomp by Line 6 on there as well, if I remember right. Yeah? Yeah. Just recently, yeah.
1: I was going to ask you what you saw because I went through a few, that was the first thing I got. Okay. It was an HX1, and that was good, um, but uh, it was mostly because I couldn't get hold of a fractal, and and then I did, and I preferred it. Yep. So, um, and since then I've. I've uh, Got hold of a, a BOSS, GT1000. Um, who put me onto that? Um, Berks. Yep. Brett England. Yep. He said, why don't you try this? And it hasn't got as much uh, as many amps on it yep. as the Fractal, but if you find one you like, what, do you, what else do you need? Exactly. So I've, I've got one and tried it. And okay, this is very convenient because it sounds great, and it's got the inbuilt uh, expression pedal. Um, so, yeah, Fractal or, or Boss or, or Line 6 or Kemper, I think they all essentially do the same thing. Absolutely. So it's, really, it's really convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, I mean, I've tried those things. Uh, I tried early Line 6 gear, the, the original... Kidney-shaped pods. Yeah. Uh, they sound like shit. You know, they really do sound like digital process yeah. crap. Yeah. Um, I've, I've tried other preamps, and when Dave Spen- when Bob Spencer was playing with us, um, you know what Bob's like. He changes his sound every week. And he put me onto these things. He said, hey, oh, you've got to try this some 3 amp, and I used it for about six months, and convinced myself that it sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day it, it didn't work; it went down. So I grabbed my lead and plugged it into an amp.
0: Yep.
1: <sighs> what have I been doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you um, that the expression pedal. What kind of things are you assigning to your expression pedal? If you're still using one on the uh, digital unit,
1: yeah, I love the expression pedal. I, I love it for as a volume pedal because uh, I've never got really comfortable with the with the finger one. Using a strap, it's it's okay, yep. but if I want to use any other guitar, if I want to do a, a volume swell, having it on the on the foot is brilliant. I love
0: it. Yeah.
1: Um, occasionally why? but um that's about as far as i've gone i know dave leslie he uses his for uh, volume gain uh, you know
0: so pre on, on preamp is that what you mean so it's
1: like just for amp gain yeah um just to uh, yeah i see him doing it all the time yeah it's it's just he's just um Gradually increasing the
0: g- the gain. Cool, cool. Um, like you would with your volume knob on your same. guitar, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a good tube amp reacts that way with a volume knob on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, awesome. Now, when I was talking to Bob Spencer a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned that um, a lot of the well, all the Angels stuff that he recorded, he was using a little amp with an eight-inch speaker. It, do you, do you yeah. recall any? Little tricks that you have done over the years that people would be very surprised to hear, because that, yeah, that's a big sound, but little speaker, I guess. Yeah, it just fit right in the mix.
1: Um, if you listen to "Beyond Salvation" album, that whole album, the guitar sounds—that's all it is. So you too, huh? Little. Yeah, we were <laughs> we were in Memphis. And uh Terry Manning, who was, who produced that album, he uh he talked us into it. He, he even did a test in the studio, he said, Okay, you know, play your parts on, on the on the Marshall or the big amp, whatever. And um and now play it on the, the little because we went out and bought a couple of little eight inch speaker I think we got fenders and marshals and uh, tried it and then he a beat it in the control room didn't tell us which was which yep and, you know it was a taste test and uh, we all agreed the little one that's got the sound Yep. it was something he learned from Jimmy page
0: yeah right
1: he, he engineered. Or he either engineered or was take off, whatever, on the first Zeppelin album. He said, Jimmy Page walked in with tiny little, I can't remember what it is, the legendary Jimmy Page amp yep. um, and a guitar, plugged it in, away he went. And he said, That's the way to go single speaker, small speaker, single speaker, forget the cabs uh, to recording. Yep. Bob and I we decided to take that on the road so we got Marshall Cabinets and uh, opened them up, put doors in the back and soundproof them, put these little tiny little fender <laughs> amps inside with a microphone so all you had to do was plug plug the lead into the back of the cabinet and it looked It was was a Marshall cabinet, put a dummy Marshall head on top. So you got the look, you got
0: the sound of the little fender and it worked. Wow. You know, that's quite funny. You just brought to mind, I used to have two Marshall 4x12s that I played through back when you could in (laughs) in stereo, Um, and I put them up on eBay, and a chap came around to buy them off me, and he was buying them on behalf of status quo. Uh, with the the intent of gutting them and putting two AC-30s in them because apparently for one song, their bass player played guitar. They're known for their Marshall backline and they wanted to put the AC-30 inside for... Is it it John Lancaster? not sure if I got his name right. Uh, To play just the one song. And it's like, oh, I've kept these things. Alan Alan, Alan Lancaster, yeah. Um, Yeah,
1: bass player.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So... This guy was actually from a status quo tribute band in Australia but their cousin was in the real one and they just had a back line over here so that status quo could use it without having to freight all their gear over. Now, Rick, you asked me what did I see on your pedal board and I said that I saw the HX Stomp but you also had this other cool little box that had um, a picture of yourself, that just the silhouette that everybody knows you for and it was called something like the Box of Awesomeness. Rick Brewster's Box of Awesomeness. And it had a couple of XLRs out on it. What was that all, all about? What's that for?
1: Box of Impressiveness.
0: About box of Impressiveness. Yep. Impress me with what Which that was for.
1: My, it's not my term. That was uh, our, our sound guy at the time when I started using that box. He, he uh, made up some stickers and I turned up to a gig one day and that was on it with this box of impressiveness, which uh, he loved it, um, as did all the sound guys we, we worked with. But it's very simple. Um, all it is is a, a fixed loop with a switch to turn on the overdrive, but that switch also turns on uh, to complete, sorry, let me, let me go. St- go back to the amp on stage, and I would have two microphones on that amp. One mic went straight to front of house, call that rhythm, and the second mic went to my box of impressiveness, <laughs> And out of that, to the front of the house. So when I hit that switch, that second mic become, became active. Up till then, it's only one mic it's active. Okay. So when I hit that, when I hit that, it, it gives me the overdrive boost, but it also turns on the second mic. And it means Front of house, he can have solos preset, hand up middle, whatever volume he wants on it, and then it's all up to me. I totally control when he gets that solo signal. Awesome. Uh, Any time I hit that switch, and when you're working with different uh, technicians. Soundman, um, it's huge. I've, I've been there with someone who doesn't really know the songs or you're doing a new song. You hit the solo and you wait for a few bars and then you hear the fader. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. As you can hear the room. Yep. And the room, where's the fucking solo? Yep. Come on. come. Three bars later, he's got the level up. Yeah. So... Cuts
0: all of that out. I hit that switch and it's bang. You're
1: there. Awesome, awesome. Now I was very, Impressive. Su- very yes,
0: <laughs> box of impressiveness. Now I was very surprised when I saw you recently that you were playing a Strat style guitar. It looked like uh, some type of custom jobby. Uh, am I right in thinking it had a humbucker in two singles? What guitar was that? And what evolution of guitars have you had throughout the career? <laughs>
1: That's my own guitar. I made that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, when you say made,
0: when you say made, like out right. of pre-made parts, like Warmoth parts or no, something like no, that? No, 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 completely. Scratch. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: that's That's cool. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I was, I was
1: very lucky. It turned out to be a, a really good guitar. Yeah. Um, I think it was, Two years ago now, Sam Sam Brewster, uh, who's now a bass player. Yep. He said, "I'm going to make a guitar." Um, I've signed up for a TAFE course, and I'm going to make a Les Paul. I said, "Okay." Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to make one, so um, fuck you, Sam. I'm going to make one too, (laughs) (laughs) and I don't have to sign up for a TAFE course because I've got a workshop. Um, All I had to do was buy a whole heap of specialist tools and uh, make a lot of phone calls to Dwight Wood up in Brisbane, who makes guitars, and talk to a friend in Hobart, um, Paul Miner, who makes guitars, and look at a whole lot of YouTube videos, tutorials on what to do. And uh, I already had the timber um, from Craig Upfold, who was a guitar maker in Central Coast. Uh, very sadly, died of leukemia uh, about eight years ago. And I've got a couple of his guitars, and they're stunning. But from his estate, I was given some silky oak. Nice. Body blanks. Beautiful timber. And uh, it was a perf- perfect way to use that. So that became the body. Um, Maton very kindly sent me some neck blanks, Queensland maple. Um, then I just had to buy all the hardware, and look at a lot of a lot of demos, make a lot of phone calls, and. Um, you know, Hang on a check. You're right,
0: mate. What's You got me? I still you're still there?
1: Yeah, good. I had a phone call coming in. Yeah, so you're
0: right. Yep, yeah, phone's always on silent.
1: Um so uh yeah, I I just got right into it, passionate about it. Yeah. And um especially the shaping shaping of the body and the neck. Yeah. Um and, uh, yeah, I put in a, uh, a Fender bridge, um, Strat bridge. It's basically a Strat mm-hmm. with, a, with a humbucker and, and two single poles. Uh, they were made, those pickups were, were made by Dwight Wood, actually. Um, okay. In Brisbane. Uh, and I put in the Eric Clapton... Uh, mid-boost circuit. Cool. Active. Yep. Um, Because I I have a a Clapton Strat with that. Um, And I liked it, so I put that in and used that for It became my main guitar, which is why you saw it. Uh, And I used it solidly for a couple of years. Um, I've now taken out the Clapton circuit and just
0: um, just got a standard passive pickups. So, it, sound, it sounded great when I saw it. Uh, but one thing I've learned over the years is tone is in the fingers. So I'm sure you could play any guitar and it's going to come out sounding like Rick Brewster. Because it's a lot more than than just the bits of wood and strings. It's it, it comes from the soul of the musician. Now, Rick, let me let me ask Someone you.
1: Someone said that to me. Sorry. Someone has said that to me before, and um, you know, same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it just sounds like you, oh. um, but 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 it's completely different. a different amp, different guitar. How can it be?
0: Yeah, I've heard classic stories of people Dave Leslie told me about when he was playing through um, Eddie Van Halen's rig or Nuno's rig and he goes he's waiting for it to sound like those guys but it just sounded like him whereas Eddie Van Halen came backstage and played through a little practice ant that they had going and they're just like fuck me it was almost a clean sound but it sounded like Eddie Van Halen you know it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely in the hands you know big time <laughs> You're saying about using these really loud amps over the years. Were you wearing earplugs then? You said you got in-ears now, in-ear monitors, but were you wearing any ear protection back in the day?
1: Eventually. um, But uh, we didn't know any better for years. Yeah. Probably. um, I think it was about 1979 when... I got worried about my hearing and finally went to an audiologist and He said, well, yeah, it's too late now, you've done the damage, but protect your ears from now on, mm-hmm. which I did. Yep. So from then on, I was, I was wearing earplugs on stage. Yep. Um, thing is, no one, all the bands were the same, we, and they were all deaf.
0: Yep.
1: You know, yep. All the, from Pete, Pete Townsend to,
0: through to Angus. Yep, yep. Um, oh. I've heard that Clapton just, isn't touring anymore because he's all but stone deaf now. Um, yeah. And, and you mentioned, yeah, you guys were writing songs seven days a week. A lot of my damage got done in my late teens, early 20s, playing in a band, writing four nights a week. And I know this year is down in my top end because the drummer... His symbol was right here. He'd be bashing away, and yeah, it was great. You could you could feel the Marshall stack you know, vibrating your pants and all that, but it takes its toll, man, I, I religiously now. And even Jennifer Batten said to me the other day in, a, in an interview I did with her that she won't even go to a, a comedy club or anything without her earplugs because there's going to be some point where the comedian will <laughs> cup the mic and do something, and it's... And I, I experience the same. Are, are you... Are you really sensitive to loud noises and things now? Do you find?
1: Uh, not really. No, I, I, I got used to it. Um, I just uh, yeah, I just shut off to it. But I, I protect my ears, wouldn't you know? I, I do a lot of um, stuff around the house with power tools and yeah, and uh, you know um, hammers. You know, explosive cameras and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No guns. Yeah. And uh, yeah, without play, the the um, ear muffs. Yep. I feel it, but the trouble is, we're working seven days a week, and the uh, what happens is, you expose your ears to a lot of loud noise. One night. And most people at a gig, they don't go go to another gig for a week. So the eardrum that got stretched has time to go back Mm. into shape. But you do that night after night, and eventually it loses the elasticity. And that's industrial deafness. Mm. We've all got it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I've actually spoken to... You know, I'm wearing noise-canceling headphones right now. And the thing is, as soon as I put those on, it really brings to my attention just the beep that's it. That's constantly in my head. Um, Yeah. It's funny you you mentioned Billy Thorpe. Um, I played for an artist uh, around about 2000 that was Sony's pop signing at the time. They always have a male and a female artist that they're pushing at any one time. And his manager was Michael Browning who managed ACDC throughout the, the whole Bon Scott years. Yeah. And I can remember there was a, a TV series that came out on the ABC around that time called a Long Way to the Top. And he was featured heavily in that interviews. And I asked him about yeah. that one time. And and I said, oh, yeah, was that, that cool being interviewed for that? And he said, oh, man, it annoyed the crap out of me. And I said, why is that? He said, all they wanted to do was talk about ACDC, but that's not my proudest achievement. I was like, oh, really? Tell me more. What? What's your proudest achievement? And he said that, um, mate, I was walking down the street one day, I think he said in Sydney, you heard this music coming out of a pub. And he just went, hello, what's this? And went walked in and he saw this guy playing. He went, that is the future of rock and roll right there. And he signed him up and that was Billy Thorpe. Yeah, yeah. So before, when I when I was asking you about the the bridge between playing Bob Dylan's songs and, and the hard rock, do you think Billy Thorpe had a lot to do with that?
1: Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Uh, between Billy Thorpe and and then ACDC. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Certainly, certainly, the turn the amp up.
0: <laughs> before we went live, we were talking about. Um, load boxes and and the like, how that seems to be a a thing for people now who want to still use their tube amps, be able to crank them up. And I've got a little device just behind me. This is always really awkward to do because it's backwards and it's not going to line up to to you, Rick, because you're seeing a different camera. But that thing right there is a Friat power station, which actually has um, a load box built into it so I can crank ahead into it. And then it has a 6L6-based power amp that I can use to re-am- uh, re-amplify the sound at a more manageable volume, which is great because you know, you've got a, like a Soldano amp or something that really opens up and breathes by the time you turn it up to 7, but come on, you're blowing the windows out by that stage. Yeah. It's so loud. So that's a cool little device to, to do that. Um yeah, it might be something worth investigating if you still want to dig out some of those old amps and, and and see how it sounds. Yeah,
1: but then you've got to cart the amp.
0: True, true. <laughs> yeah. There's so much cool gear coming out, man. There's so much cool gear coming out.
1: I know. It's uh, getting better and better. It
0: is. And I know the Axe FX has become a bit of a, a standard, but there's a chap in um, in Germany by the name of Thomas Blug. Um, He's one of the nicest guys in the manufacturing side of, of things that you'll ever meet. And he has a great thing called the Blue Guitar Amp 1, which is very much like Axe FX and the like. It's a floor amp. So it's all all analog. It's got a little nanotube in there for the um, solid-state power amp. And the best way to describe it is a four-channel Marshall in a box that's very, yeah, yeah very cartable. And I think you're going to see people starting to use those a lot coming up.
1: What's it called? I'm gonna write
0: it down. Blue Blue guitar, like his name's Thomas Blueg, so it's B L U G Blue Guitar. So
1: B L U
0: G U I T A R. And the, it's called an AMP one. Comes in two different models depending on whether you want more of a classic or more of a, a metal sound. Hughes and Kettner do a very B, similar thing.
1: B, sorry. B L U. Yep.
0: I have to write it down to be able to spell it properly. (laughs) B-L-U guitar, basically. B-L-U-G-U-I-T-A-R. Yeah. Blue
1: Guitar.
0: Yeah. yeah. Ah. Blue Guitar App 1. Yeah, check that out. It's a very cool unit Uh, worth investigating. Now, you mentioned uh, John's (laughs) son, Sam, earlier um, playing bass for you guys, and... When I came to soundcheck of you guys playing at, at Southport, uh, Dave introduced me to to Sam. Uh, he said, oh, yeah, this is John Brewster's son. He failed to mention that he was actually playing bass for you guys, and it wasn't until you guys come on that I went, oh, hello. I was just talking to him before, and, and now he's playing. Um, so it's really come back to being a family affair for you guys, hasn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. It has been. Three Brewsters.
0: Yeah. Is that that family thing that we talked about earlier you know of brothers playing do you find that extends into now having your nephew playing bass
1: yeah it probably does um, I don't know I mean it it, feel, it really feels a lot like it like it used to feel with Chris Bailey playing um, and that makes sense they, they spent a lot of time together before Chris got too sick to to uh, come on the road, um, they uh, you know traded notes with each other, and when it came time, Chris he basically handed over the baton. He he just said, "Sam's your man." Cool. Which he was. Yep.
0: And who have you got on drums now? I didn't actually meet meet the drummer, but that was a younger guy playing drums Mick as Norton. well. Yeah, where'd you find him?
1: Mick Norton. He, well, he's he would he grew up with Sam in Sydney, he's sort of been a friend throughout, he's, he's had his own bands before. Um, and uh, he's a, When I met him, he was primarily a guitarist singer. and uh, But we knew John and I were doing a Brewster Brothers album in Harry Bandit's studio and. I don't know when it was, you know, 2004 or something. But we walked through the studio one day and there was Nick Norton behind a drum kit just on his own playing. And uh, that was it for us. We heard him play drums. and <laughs> So um, we wrote him in as a drummer. And uh, he's he's a... He's a freak. He plays great drums, great voice, great uh, guitar player and um, songwriter.
0: What more could you want? He's the right man for the gig then.
1: He's taking over. (laughs) (laughs) it will be the Nortons. But uh, no, it's good having... They're they're the young blood in the band. They they keep us on our toes.
0: Yeah,
1: we've got three generations in this band.
0: That's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> That's awesome, mate. Um, you did say that uh, you could spare half an hour of of your time for me. Are you aware that we've actually been talking for over an hour now? I, I should I round things up. Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. I'm going to have to. That's move fine. On.
0: That's fine by me. I really do thank you for your time, Rick. um I almost made the joke when we started that Joe, you know, I've got Rick Brewster and with a haircut like mine I'm I'm Rick Rooster. <laughs> 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 but Rick, thank you very much, mate. And um, are you guys gonna be back out on the road once things clear up with, with the current situation?
1: You bet. You bet.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll I'll come along, mate, and I'll I'll say we're
1: all all going a bit stir crazy.
0: I bet. I bet. Well, I'm going to try and sneak into a sound check um, when you are back out the road, and I'll I'll come and say good day. Yeah, good. And again, thank you very much for your time. I
1: reckon. I reckon it'll be sometime this year. We'll be doing something. Um, We have been. We've got an EP that came out today. Really. Yeah, we managed to finish um, five songs that we recorded uh, a couple of years ago now, yeah. working towards the new album. Yep. So it's uh, five of them were ready to go, just needed solos, which I can do at home. Yep. And mixing. And um, we've got the, the guys in Adelaide with the super ears that... that uh, do our mixing for us. Yeah. So that came out today. It's an EP called "Under the Stone." Uh, and where
0: can people get that?
1: Well, best, the easiest thing is just to go to the Okay. And everything's there. There's a link to the release. There's the um, story on it. Uh, Yeah, that's been a a great project to do in isolation. Yeah. A couple of film clips. There's a film clip for the song, the first song released is um, called Under the Stone.
0: Cool. Rick, I'm just going to jump uh, in and say I really need to take what's called a bio break, apparently. I'm going to get you to keep talking about the new album, and I can still hear you. I'm just going to come back in 30 seconds, mate. So tell us a bit more about the album, if you don't mind. And I'll be back in just a second.
1: Well, I don't know. Um, Five tracks. Under the Stone, we've been working that up live for the last year, probably. Um, To the point where we're happy with the arrangement. Slightly old days, that's what we used to do. With all all the new songs, we would just test them out live, and good old Australian audience. Pretty hard audience to play to. They would they would tell us straight away, we love it or we hate it. <laughs> that would that used to influence us. Um, so there's one track on it called Heart to Heart, which. Uh, it's a song I wrote three, four years ago, and finally recorded it with the band. It was seven minutes of um, of uh, really my nod, my taking off the hat to Pink Floyd. Nice, nice, unashamedly. Yep, <laughs> yep.
0: Well, you gotta, you gotta acknowledge those those influences. Do you mind if
1: it's I... It's very difficult
0: did, talking without you. Guys. I know, I know. I, I, I can hear you. And, and, yeah, some people, usually I don't say anything. And I just sort of do this to them what it's changed. And it puts people on the spot. Um, do you mind if I, if I just ask you a couple of more questions before we round it up? I was trying to round it up before because I thought, I'm going to fucking piss myself if I don't. <laughs> I drink way too much coffee in the morning, and it comes to midday, and it has to go somewhere. Um,
1: If you can see, I've got my legs crossed.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I just want to quickly ask you about your influences. You mentioned David Gilmore, then, and a not so um, subtle nod to him. Is there any other names that that spring to mind that were big influences? Oh
1: yeah, definitely. Um, Beatles are a huge influence. Bob Dylan, more so to John than me. John's a massive Dylan fan. But um, all those bands, you know, ACDC is a big big influence, Rolling Stones, um, you know, bands like uh, Creedence, John Fogarty. Uh, Where where, where do I begin?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Stevie Ray. Yep, yep.
1: So they're all... They all play a part, you know, I always say Beethoven because
0: he is a major influence for me. Yeah, right. You know, you mentioned um, Credence, and I went and saw John Fogarty probably about five years ago now. His tone was amazing life. It was at the Brisbane Entertainment Centre, which...
1: Telecaster? He
0: used a different guitar for every song, but he had his cabs, his speakers behind him laying on their back and pointed up at the ceiling so I guess we didn't get much spill uh, but his his tone was phenomenal man I never really gave him credit as a guitar player before seeing that but he was amazing
1: Yeah I think I think he's amazing too Yeah um have you seen David Gilmore at the at the Coliseum I think it is um it's... I've seen a couple of
0: his... One at...
1: Yeah, this was live with an audience at the Coliseum, uh, which is where Pink Floyd did a film clip...
0: In Pompeii or something.
1: Ago, um, with no audience. Yep, yep. So Gilmore um, put a whole production light show audience in this place. Check it out. It's... When you talk tone and using a different guitar for every song, sometimes he's using a Gretsch, strap, Let's Call, tones are to die for.
0: Mm. His note choice is just incredible, though. He plays a lot of... Um, so a lot of guys will just noodle with a pentatonic scale, whereas I find the melodic stuff of, of Dave Gilmore, it's the the notes of the chord... That he's playing. It's basically he's just you know if he's playing it, it's a C chord. You know the the C, E, and the G are the, are the major notes that he's playing in that, and it just fits and sings as opposed to just a pentatonic noodling. I guess yeah. does that come into your playing as well? Yeah. Do you do you play around the chord when you're writing your uh, solos? Yeah, yeah, it's the
1: only player the only way I can do it. Yeah. Um, but he uh. What I was going to say about him is it's one of the things that impresses me the most is what he doesn't play. He's a sparse player Mm. and the the gaps are just waiting for that next note. Yeah. Um, But I've heard heard, um, uh, his approach to writing solos I don't know if it's all the time or whatever, but he sings on a microphone. He sings in solos. Yeah. Uh, and does a whole whole lot of takes, yep. and then he just picks the one he likes and yep. plays that on the guitar. Yep.
0: And that goes back to what you were saying, you know, from your father who was a cellist and saying to make it sing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Make the melody sing. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And at that, Rick, I'm going to uh, let you go because you you have graciously given me me more time than than expected. So um, I'm going to hit the magic end screen button um, and I'll bid a farewell to the viewers and thanks for tuning in. See you on the next episode. I have, who have I got next? Brett Garshead on Monday from the John Farnham band. Now, that's one player. Uh But... What impresses me about Brett is when he is limited by putting a slide on his finger and he loses all the the fast legato stuff. That's another guy that can make that thing sing. So thanks again, Rick. See you later and bye for now.